Good morning and welcome, Vermont Viewpoint, WDEV here in historic Waterbury, Vermont. Uh, this is your host, Brad Furrow, and good to be with you on a Monday, and I hope your Monday's starting off well. I, my Monday, uh, I got up early this morning because of all these predictions of weather, bad weather. I don't want to be stuck on the interstate coming down, and so I got the sheep fed and watered early and got the dogs out and uh, all those things. And then we piled in the car. We're like little worker ants going down the highway. First, it's me on the rural road in St. Albans, and then I meet other worker ants, and they're all driving their cars. And then I get on the interstate, and there's a whole bunch more worker ants, and everybody's heading down towards Chittenden County. And there's the right lane worker ants who go a little slow, and then there's the left lane worker ants on the interstate that just are going fast, fast, fast. And uh, that's kind of how it works on the highway in the morning. If you uh, and the weather, did it slow people down today? Not so much on 89 uh, South between uh, St. Albans and Waterbury, but it was uh, uh, it got here, so I'm happy about that. We have a great show today. We'll be starting out with Megan Sullivan. She's a Vermont State Chamber, and we'll talk about the Chamber's 2024 priorities and a whole bunch of other stuff. And then at 10, Elliot Greenblatt joins me, my old friend, who is AARP Fraud Watch. And um, there's all sorts of things out there every day that people are getting uh getting approached about and uh it's a billion dollar industry that is harming um a lot of people's lives. And then at ten thirty, Nick Longo, director of Patrick Leahy Burlington International Airport, will join me. We'll talk about December flying and uh some construction that's going on there and uh new airlines and all of that. So uh stay tuned. We're glad you're with us this morning. We can't do radio without you, the listener. So thank you. And I want to jump right in with, I'm um, excited, Megan Sullivan here in studio. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. It's, well, it's great having you. Uh, the, uh, I think we have a little bit of sound, uh, adjustment here. There we go. Uh, try that out, Megan. Good morning. Thanks for having me. I, unfortunately, I can't hear. Give me just a second. I'm turning everything up. Go ahead. We're all, uh, we may start singing in a minute. It'll be so loud. We'll be like a choir. Try that. Any better now? Okay. I, I can see the needle moving. I think we're good. Okay. Uh, we're just making some technical adjustments here at WDEV. Um, so Megan, uh, we're coming into 2024 and, uh, the legislature in January begins and there's a whole bunch of stuff that, uh, are, is on the legislative agenda and then the chamber, uh, a lot of stuff on your agenda too, to, is there a match there? Or? <laughs> I think there can be a match. Absolutely. You know, I think housing has been a priority for the state chamber. We've got to do something to address our, our housing costs and our housing stock in Vermont. Um, and that is something everybody's talking about where the Regardless of where you are, who you're talking to, um, housing always comes up as an issue. For us, we see our employers really struggling to recruit new employees, to retain the employees they have because housing is such a challenge uh, for people to find here. So, you know, I think 
everyone's going into the session continued to have housing top of mind. We, we did some good work last year, but there's a lot more work that can happen. Um, we're also going to be looking at resiliency and recovery. There are still a lot of people, uh, suffering from the impacts of the July 24, uh, 23 flooding. And we know that these events aren't just happening every 500 years, every 100 years. These weather events are coming uh, faster because of climate change, and we need to do more to help communities be resilient uh, and be prepared for the next one that comes. So there will be a lot of recovery and resiliency on the on the agenda as well. Yeah, uh, one of my guests last week was uh, the owner of the Cambridge store who he he and his wife bought the store and two weeks later, the whole thing floods. And he had really put a lot of money from all his other investments sort of to to pay for the store. And he was telling me that there's, you know, a lot of the infrastructure you can't, there's just no river proof, right? So, right. So what are some of the things that, is it just giving more protection monetarily or what are you looking at? I think, you know, there's going to be a lot going on this session about land use planning. Um, I've been working on a study for the past four or five months about how do we reform Act 250. Um, and there's other studies in there as well. And part of that is um, we need to make sure that we are encouraging development in areas that are outside of floodplains. And for those areas in floodplains, how can we look upstream to help uh, mitigate the impacts of rivers rising and then how do we impact when things do flood are there there are you know certain infrastructure changes that that businesses can make that residents can make um that can help certainly in in lessen the impact but it's going they're going to be hard um decisions and choices that are going to be made um and we need the stories that are coming from our communities to really help inform Montpelier on how to best move forward. Yeah, Montpelier specifically uh, was so hard hit, and we don't just do away with Montpelier, right? Right. <laughs> uh, and yet this has become, like you said, it's not every 500, every 100 years. This is a reality of life now. Um are there ways to, I mean, do you look at engineering solutions and and aqueducts and things like that so that that we normally don't even think about? I think there are going to be some really smart scientists coming in to talk about those things. Um, and where we have to balance is knowing that um, these communities are, are the heart of Vermont. And so we need to help them uh, become resilient, take into account what folks are saying. We can't just pick up and move our downtowns into a whole new place. Um, so how do we, how do we help resiliency? So really listening to what some of the experts say. And then also understanding that if we're looking at how, where do we build this new housing that we so desperately need? We have to be open to the fact that this might be in areas that haven't been developed yet, that are adjacent to our downtowns, um, so that we're not continuing to invest new money in new housing in areas that are flood prone. Um, and those can be hard conversations to have, but we know we need to have them. Very interesting. I hadn't, that hadn't occurred to me, but the whole push has been this European model, right? Put everybody in one geographic area, the growth centers, the housing and the, and the retail all together. But it may not be entirely practical. So it's a new look, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. In, in a state of hills and valleys and water running downhill, you know, we, we're going to have to say we can't build all of our new housing, um, next to the river 
at the bottom of um, the lowest point of those valleys. We we need to look um, outside of that. And it doesn't have to be breaking down our forests and tearing apart our most rural um, areas. That's part of who Vermont is. But there are certainly areas adjacent to our downtowns that are less flood prone, where we can be building more resilient, efficient housing. And, you know, there are creative ways, right? You could, if you've got enough land, which we do, we really do have a lot of land, open land and um, forested land that could be cleared in a strategic way, meaning you may not even know a development exists. We we do see that in Vermont. Uh, we do. And right now, you know, the, the way that Act 250 has been uh, designed to work and, and you know, I We'll start this by saying Act 250 came into place with the best of intentions to um, really help um, understand our land use when towns didn't have zoning. Um, most, a lot of our towns now do have really great zoning and subdivision rules, um, have permitting processes. So Act 250 can be duplicative. And, and when you have a rule that says you can't build more than 10 houses every five miles within five years, that's the 1055 rule. Um, what it leads to is developers building nine houses and then moving five miles and building another nine houses and then moving another five miles and building another nine houses to avoid Act 250. What if instead we said, let's try and incentivize some level of density so that if you can build 30 units of housing in one place instead of moving it over 15 miles, we do that. It's uh, sort of funny to me to hear that because one of the uh, – sort of anti-growth terms is scattered development, right? That everybody goes, well, we can't have scattered development in Vermont, which of course that's a good thing. We don't, we don't want Vermont like other places yet that model creates scattered development. It absolutely (laughs) has created scattered development because people are trying to avoid going through a a lengthy and costly permitting process. Um, So they, they just stay under that trigger by doing nine units every five miles. So, I think the report that's kind of come out is looking at ways we can really try and um, incentivize dense development, infill development where it can be, but also allowing larger areas of where we need to grow every 20, over the next 20 years, and then um, trying to protect some of our really undeveloped rural landscape. For sure. We're talking with uh, Megan Sullivan. She's with the Vermont State Chamber. If you want to join the call, we, a lot of topics here, but housing, finding housing, uh, we'll be getting into, um, taxes. I'm going to say that real quiet, but you may not say it as quietly when you hear, uh, some, some of the increases that are coming, but join the conversation. 802-244-1777. Uh, so what about, um, we hear a lot, Megan, about the redundancy in Act 250. There's a local level process and then, then they go to Act 250. Is, are you trying to fight that to try to, uh, make that a little better? You know, I think, um, there is some work being done last year on municipal level um, oversight. And this year, I think there's going to be a focus on state level oversight and Act 250 and where there's redundancies. And, you know, if your project has to go through Act 250 and you get a water permit, a stormwater permit from A&R, do you, do you have to go to Act 250 and have them do the same review 
Um, or can you get, you know, can someone who's opposed to the project sue you in two different places for the same thing? I think those are definitely some of the questions that are kind of come up is, um, you know, what are, what are we opening people up to when they're trying to develop, um, workforce housing in the state? Um, and what are the opportunities, especially when we're talking about lawsuits that really slow projects down and can add a considerable amount of cost? Um, those tend to get, added to the cost per unit when we're, when we're dealing with that. So um, we need to really look at, at those redundancies um, and look deeply at the criteria. Uh, I'm hoping the legislature is going to take some time to look through the criteria, understand what's going on on the municipal level, see what we're doing on the state level, not just through Act 250, but in other permitting that's required in different state agencies and say, you know, when we check the box, can we check it once and move on? Yeah. And, and one of the uh, functions you have, you bring people into the legislature, right, to testify in committees. Does that have an impact or or not? <laughs> I think it can have a huge impact. I was at a um, uh, meeting recently in Waitsfield, just a few towns over, where legislators were talking with some business owners and heard a an incredible story of a, a business owner who was just um, revitalizing a blighted property. And um, so it was building that was already there and it had fallen into disrepair and his work to try and bring this up to create jobs in the region, make it a destination, um, new place for people to go, um, was met with hurdle after hurdle through the regulatory process. And oftentimes the answers didn't line up what the town wanted or what one state agency wanted versus what another state agency wanted didn't line up. Um, I think Businesses, Vermonters are okay with regulations. We love where we live, um, but they have to be clear. Um, they have to be um, understandable so that someone knows what the process is and can can meet the demands required. And there's a lot of fees involved too, right? This is there's economics involved in Act 250. It's not a cheap process. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there can be fees involved in. Um, in lots of different ways, Act 250 is going to be the last fee. So if you've gone through municipal permitting that has fees and you've gone through other state permitting that has fees, and then you go through Act 250 where you may be duplicating some processes and you're paying for the same thing over again, um, that sometimes can be the straw that breaks the camel's back. So, you know, Act 250 is an important part of part of the process, but modernizing Act 250 isn't going to solve our housing problems alone. That's one of the spokes that we need to address, but there's a lot of other spokes um, along that hub that have to be figured out as well. It seems to me there's a little bit of antiquated thinking here, too, that there maybe at one point um, state government didn't entirely trust the local community, the DRB process was a little more casual and, you know, there was that kind of thing. But we've come a long way, I believe, in in that process. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of communities didn't have a DRP 55 years ago when this was created. And um, and so like anything that any laws, any regulation, we have to update them based on what's going on in the times. And now we do have communities with robust DRBs with, um, you know, really good zoning and subdivision in place, thoughtful processes. Um, and so in that situation, and this can be hard to do in our, our legislature, as I've seen on many other topics, we have to be willing to trust that our communities are filled with really 
incredibly smart, well-intentioned people um, who are going to do good work for their citizenry. Yeah, for sure. So what do you encourage? You you deal with the business community, but what is there a lack of outreach or communication to legislators, do you think? Do they do they not hear enough from from the problem areas or or what's sort of the Well, I think those direct communications from constituents is incredibly helpful because you've got uh, people like me in the legislature who are there every day, and I'm sharing those stories on behalf of our members. Um, but it's also helpful for them to hear directly from their constituents who have had this issue, who can say, here's the exact process that I went through. Here's what I'm trying to do, and this is what I found. Um, and so that there can be additional pressure put on to make sure that this gets passed this year. And tell us a little bit more about the role of the chamber. You you represent whom and, and how does that process work? So the Vermont State Chamber represents uh, businesses across the state, and we cover every industry in Vermont. Um, our membership is incredibly diverse. We have very small employers from just one-person shops to um, some of our largest employers in the state who all trust us to go into the state house and advocate for advancing Vermont's economy. And that's really what our um, our mission is. So every piece of legislation we look at, that's what we're framing around is how does this advance Vermont's economy? How does this help Vermonters? How does this help Vermont businesses? Um, so we'll be going in with a set agenda of here's what we are planning to work on. Here's a, the things that we really think are important to to see that mission succeed. Um, but we'll also be reacting as we'll find out other legislative um, items that are on the table, um, helping to inform legislators of, you know, based on our understanding of the business community and feedback that we're getting from our members. Here's what we're hearing. Our concerns about this here could be unintended consequences. Here are the things we like. Um, and and the support of our members allows people like me to be in the state house every day having these conversations. And your members become a real life focus group, right? For for all sorts of things. Yeah, I mean, we get asked about issues from um, employment law to transportation to housing to public safety. Um, it really runs the gamut to tax issues. Um, and so our members really help us um, when we hear something, we think, you know, this isn't something we've worked on before. We need to go to our to our members and find out how does this impact you. Um, and they're great, great ways to um, fill us in. We're talking with Megan Sullivan, Vermont State Chamber, 2024 Priorities. If you want to join the conversation, we're at 802-244-1777. Um, so... Housing, um, every, uh, campaign, uh, flyer I see over the last decades says we got to bring more young people to Vermont. <laughs> but if we, if we want that, we got to put our money where our mouth is, don't we? On, on making a place for them to live rather than, you know, six of them living in an apartment with bug, um, bunk beds and uh, ramen noodle. <laughs> yeah, we we absolutely do. We are, um, you know, falling short of the goal of what we need. And, and I think that goal is an important piece. Over the years, the legislature has put a lot of goals into place on things. We've put a goal in place around child care, around efficiency, around climate change. 
And when we have that goal in place of here's what we want to um, reduce fees for child care to, here's what we want to um, reduce our carbon footprint, here's how um, how much renewable energy we want to be using, when legislation comes up, we measure our success or we measure the impact of that legislation by that goal. Well, we don't have a housing goal. And so when we do housing legislation, we could say, well, we think this will move the needle. But without an actual goal in place, we don't really have an ability to measure, is it enough? Are we doing enough? So we're going to be really pushing, putting a goal in place. And the Vermont Futures Project has a really data-driven um, number that they've looked at, which is to increase the number of units in Vermont by 80,000 additional units of housing by 2035. And so we'd like to see that or um, another actual goal put in place so that when we're talking about housing legislation, when we're talking about reducing barriers to build, um, we have something that we're measuring it against. That's amazing. Uh, 80,000 by 2035. Uh, we're talking with Megan Sullivan. This is the uh, Vermont uh, Chamber of Commerce uh, priorities for uh, this coming legislative session. Uh, they represent businesses all across the state and, uh, big and small, as you said, Megan. And, uh, we're going to get more into some of the other priorities in the, in the second half of this hour. We're going to talk about a little bit about accolades that you've acquired since we last talked. Uh, pretty exciting, but I would remiss if I didn't mention that, uh, you were also a rising star, uh, <laughs> Uh, were recognized uh, among others. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, it's a little embarrassing, but, it, you know, <laughs> it was just a wonderful acknowledgement. Um, and, you know, it's a, something that the Vermont Business Magazine does every year to recognize um, 40 young professionals under the age of 40 um, who are working in the community and, and um, with business and um you know, I think part of what was incredibly humbling for me was to be nominated by someone who's a real leader in housing development in Vermont, um, to, to have that recognition of someone like that in, in my work, in the work around housing, um, was, was really special. And then the group of people that I was nominated, uh, with and awarded with included, uh, one of my coworkers, Amy Spear, who's our vice president of tourism, um, so it was just a, it was a great year for the Vermont Chamber and a celebration of um, the work that we do on behalf of Vermont businesses um, and the work that, that we not only do in our um, jobs, but also the work that Amy and I both do in our respective communities. Well, it's really a great accolade and uh, congratulations on that. Um, my producer, Greg Titus, through the glass, uh, I, if you heard the, she said it was 40 and younger. So I think you and I are going to be more like shooting stars. <laughs> Not, we're never going to be rising stars at, at this point. We'll just have to sort of stumble along, I guess. Uh, so Megan, the housing, I don't, I want to get back to that briefly and then we can go on to some of the other initiatives. The, it is intuitive, right, to to grow housing because not only is it providing a place for people to live, and hopefully affordable housing is a, is a key word sometimes for for this, but it creates a lot of jobs too. When you when you if you can build eighty thousand units, aren't the the job the expansion of jobs is enormous. I would think. Yeah, it's huge, and you know, honestly, that's. 
that can be part of uh, what hurts us as well as, you know, as our um, workforce is shrinking, <laughs> it's harder to find the people to do the construction that's that's needed on these um, the units that we desperately need. So you'll hear stories of people who call an electrician and they say, all right, I'll be there uh, in October of 2024. Um, and, you know, you've you're waiting a long time. And and so part of what we need to do is is a better recruitment of people in trades, a better job um, helping Vermonters who are interested in in being in those vocations get into them so that we can have the people that we need to help meet those those units. So part of what we're going to be asking for this year is that we really do the important work to bolster our Center for um, Technology Educational Centers, our CTEs, who are doing incredible work getting kids who may not be on a four-year degree path into vocations where they're going to be making incredible salaries um, and have opportunities for the rest of their life in Vermont. So whether that's in, in a hospitality vocation, in the trades, in construction, in mechanical work, um, there's there's great opportunities, but we need to do more to support those type of um, educational centers in our state. And then give them a place to live. Too. And, yes, yeah. and then make sure that, you know, as we're building these housing units, that we're building um, units with affordable with a little a. So we're not talking about subsidized housing units. We've done a great job in the state of supporting um, subsidized housing units, spending $100 million a year on trying to create um, units that are um, for for our low income Vermonters, um, but we also need places for people to live um, that are above that income level, but that aren't the six hundred thousand plus dollar homes that we see on the market. We need that middle income housing. Yeah, for sure. And um, do you do any kind of a uh, like a statewide inventory of where you think housing units would be most appropriate? Is there any process for that? Well, um, back to the Vermont Futures Project and um, part of the data of that 80,000 units is they've really looked at, well, what does that mean per county? Um, and so breaking that down of here's what your county needs for housing to meet your demographic demands. And so they're not just looking at what do we need today based on Vermont's population, but we need to increase our population in order to have a thriving economy. We've got more and more people who are reaching the age where they're ready to leave the workforce. So we need to be um, bringing in new workers um, who are at a younger age, have a longer career um, ahead of them, and to meet those demographic numbers of increasing our population to 802,000, 802, um, we need to build these units. Um, and Kevin Chu, the, the director of the Vermont Futures Project, has broken that down into, well, what does that mean for population in Washington County? And what does that mean for housing units in Washington County and every other county? Yeah, and it seems to me there's, there is sort of an organic process that happens. I'm up in Franklin County. It's a little more affordable. People are moving up there, a little more building going on, but it would seem that if there was sort of a master plan, it would, it would give people more sort of assurance of being able to come here, stay here, live here. Yeah, that master plan is important. Um, and part of that work is being done. One of the four land use studies that's going on um, right now ahead of the 24 legislative session is by the um, 
regional planning commissions working together to think about a much larger regional mapping, regional development plans. Which makes sense, right? It does, it, yeah. It, um, so uh, business success is one of the notes I have here. What what are we talking about uh, with business success for Vermonters? Yeah, so that that's one of our, our three main pillars going into the legislative session is prioritizing business success. Um, and the first piece that we're really looking at um, in terms of that is, you know, we know we've had a lot of federal funds coming into the state. Um, and we know that now that those federal funds have largely dried up, we're not seeing huge increases anymore outside of maybe um, the, the recovery, the flood recovery piece from FEMA. Um, we need to be aware of what our real budget is and how do we stay within our budget and our means. Um, businesses have gone through a lot with COVID, with interest rates, with supply chains problems, and with um, the lack of available workforce. Um, and we know there are some big changes coming their way. Two years ago, the legislature passed changes to corporate income tax, um, changing the rates that, that businesses will be paying. Um, and that'll come into effect in their 2023 taxes. So we know when people are filing in April and October, those changes are going to be seen. We also know that they created a brand new payroll tax last year. And so while the legislature did that last year, businesses are going to be newly experiencing that this July when it takes place. Um, so what we're asking for is for any new programs that have costs, new taxes associated with them, um, that they look at that in terms of what are people going to be facing in the upcoming year and how do we make sure that businesses can absorb what they're already being asked to do before we ask them to do new things. Um, and so that might mean that we have to pause on some worthy initiatives that we just can't afford right now. Right. And then work on the things that grow the economy. Right. Yeah. Um and then um, we talked a little bit at the beginning of the show about recovery and resiliency, uh, meaning there have been a lot of things, like you say, COVID, flooding and all that. So what are you pushing on in those areas? Um, so we're going to be looking at, you know, we know there's a lot of economic injuries still existing in those communities that um, were hit by the flood. So how do we continue to support those areas? Um, so that they can they can recover, they can come back online. Um, additionally, you know, since we know that this is not going to be a standalone event, how do we help um, businesses, communities um, prepare for future events, become more resilient? And then also we've looked at lessons from the past from Irene. We learned a lot from Irene and we made good changes. Um, we learned a lot from COVID and we've made some changes. And we need to learn from this um this event as well, so that when something like this happens, if it's um, six years from now, eight years from now, and we have a new administration, there are new commissioners, new secretaries in place, they're not trying to reinvent the wheel, that we've learned lessons, we've written them down, we've kept them up to date so we can have a rapid response ready. Um, you know, is it a business recovery grant program through the Agency of Commerce? How are we telling our visitors to the state who we rely on for a lot of our revenue, um, which parts of the state are open, which parts are closed. Um, you know, it's more than just sort of emergency management. It's really at every level of state government. How are we um, really rapidly ready to respond? Yeah. Wow. It's a lot there. Um, 
I want to go back to the, the owner of the Cambridge market. Um, Megan told me that, you know, he's, he's putting all this money into repairing what was damaged, right? But we were trying to talk about mitigation stuff that, that you were talking about too. And he said, you know, if I could put five or six high powered sump pumps in the basement, at least, then when the water starts rising, then maybe we can keep up with that, that keep our electric. I need to buy a generator that can, can, you know, work when the floods are happening. These are really great preventative things that I assume could happen in Montpelier too, but it takes money. And, and so does money, is there money for these things or? You know, I think that's what we need to be looking at. Um, some of our federal partners to see, you know, does FEMA have funding for some of these programs where our dollars can go further? So if there's a, a state match or, um, a way that we can be applying also, you know, we know that all of the ARPA funds have been appropriated, but they haven't all been spent and they have a short window with which within they need to be spent. So if we're going to, um, if any of those ARPA dollars dollars don't get spent, you know, is there a way to move those towards any type of mitigation work um, to help our our businesses and our communities become more resilient? I think, you know, we're facing a tough budget year. Um, there are a lot of asks that are going to be coming as we've gotten used to this higher uh, budget from the, the federal funds that have come in. And so really tough choices are going to have to be made. But we also need to be making sure we're not leaving any money on the table. Um, when it comes to our federal partners, if there are funds available, how can we best utilize those? Um, and and as we're looking at things like the December 1st letter that the um, tax commissioner put out last week, which showed that we're on the path towards an 18.5% increase in property taxes this year. Um, there are going to have to be really, really tough decisions made in our budget this year um, because I, I think that number is just not something that Vermonters can handle, and we have to find a way to bring it down. So that's worth repeating uh, if people didn't fall off their chair in the kitchen 18.5% increase on property tax among everything else that people are experiencing. Um, so what's the process for that is who, who can kind of whittle that down? Well, the legislature is going to have to look. We're going to have to look at, um, at our school spending plans. We're going to have to do a really um, hard look at our budgets to see if there's areas where we can influence that. Part of that is a 12% increase um, expected in school budgets this year, and that comes from um, different negotiations that are happening, um, increased health care costs. Um, there are different pieces that influence that, and so I know that the committees of jurisdiction have seen that and are um, taking it to heart and know that, that Vermonters just can't afford that. You know, if we're trying to tackle housing in the state, um, if we're adding an additional 20% property tax on top of what our property taxes already are, on top of 8% um, interest rate, how are we expecting families to buy homes? How are we expecting our um, sage workers who may be ready to move out of their family house um, to be able to buy a smaller union um, if they're facing that? I think, you know, you look... Elsewhere in the country where, where rates are going to be lower, 
we want to make sure that people can stay in Vermont and be part of the community as long as they want to be. Um, but we need to make them able to afford to do that. Then speaking of housing, um, their housing houses are selling for phenomenal amounts of money. Um, but then you go, well, where can I go? Right. right. <laughs> uh, so presumably if you can add 80,000 housing units as a goal, is that going to stabilize and even maybe drop housing values, which is, seems to me to be reasonably healthy if it does that? I mean, that's certainly the hope is, you know, we're losing uh, housing supply. I mean, pe- people sort of ask, well, why do we need more houses if we have enough for as many people as we have now? And it's because there are a lot of housing units every year that come offline, that go into disrepair. Um, and, and so part of the answer is we need to be revitalizing that housing stock we have. Um, but as much as our communities change, people's lives change. They, they stay single longer or you have more two family, um, or two household families. Um, so the need for that supply changes and we need to keep up with what people's needs are. As people live longer, they may want to live in a different type of unit than they did before. Um, and so there's opportunity to really meet the demand of where we are now. We're talking with Megan Sullivan. Uh, she is government affairs for the Vermont State Chamber. Vermont State Cham- Chamber, a phenomenal organization that really represents not just businesses, but people all across the Vermont. We're grateful for that and for all you do. Is there something else that's sort of big on the horizon that we have a couple minutes here that you want to hit upon? You know, I think one thing that we have talked about for the last few years is um, the need for Vermont to elevate its achievements. If we want people in the state to know um, the good things that are happening here, as well as letting other people know the good things that are happening here, we have to do a better job of telling that story. I can't tell you how many times I am meeting with legislators who say, well, if we do this, people are going to come to the state. Well, they're not going to come if we don't tell them about mm. it. Um, they don't know we have climate action goals. They don't know that we invested another $125 million in child care this year. We haven't told anybody about it, and we need to do a better job of doing that. Similarly, you know, if we're going to be investing millions and millions of dollars in workforce development training opportunities, what are we doing to tell our employers about those opportunities? Um Every membership meeting that I have and, and they ask, well, how come I can't uh, train my employee? What am I going to do if um, I need to? My daughter wants to become a nurse, but there's no path for her. And we have invested in programs so that you can go to college to be in these high demand careers um, for free, if not for, you know, a very low cost. Um, but we need to do a better job of telling that story and not just let it sit 17 pages down on a website. Mm. Um, so, you know, that's part of our message is if you're going to make these investments, if you're going to do these things, and we might fight over the details, but once they're done, if you want to use that as a recruitment and retention tool, we need to do a better job telling people about it. And so that sometimes means making a small investment in that marketing plan um, to do that. One of my personal sorrows is uh, the demise of Vermont Vermont. Um, you know, the Vermont Life magazine, mm. um, because it, it was so beautiful with photos and stories about Vermont. And maybe we need to look at that, some, some sort of communication piece that can go out again. Um, so that we can do what you think 
clearly needs to be done. Yeah. Yeah. We've got to find different, different paths of telling that story um, and letting people know um, both Vermonters, the opportunities that are here to support them, um, as well as letting folks outside of Vermont who may be looking for uh, moving to a state that reflects those values that we um, are investing in in this in the legislative session every year, um, letting them know what's here for them and building the houses so they can move. Yeah, yeah. So uh, businesses, if you're not part of the Vermont Chamber and want to be, they go to your website and uh, get more information. Yeah, they can go to our website and get for me uh, get more information. Um, we do a weekly newsletter during the legislative session called State to Maine. Um, where people can find out what's going on in the state house. And we're really presenting news in that in terms of how does it impact your business? What are the legislative um, initiatives that are going to impact your business? So it's not like reading a regular news story. It's really focused on that business perspective. Um, and so you can sign up for that uh, newsletter without being a member, but it, um Membership really is critical in helping us advance our mission to advance the Vermont economy. And, you know, I have guests here of business people, and they're up at 6 a.m. They're doing payroll. They're hiring. People are calling in. So they're they're working the shelves. They're doing all the things. You get to be their voice and, and give them a sense of things that's going on in the real world. That's right. We want to be their voice. We want to be able to um, not only inform legislators about those their stories, but also um, have them inform us about how um, different ideas may be impacting them. Yeah. Well, Megan Sullivan, Vermont State Chamber, thanks for coming back. We'll get you here in January, and you'll have all this great news about the things that you're doing, and the legislators are going to go, oh, yes, this – they're brilliant. We're gonna, we're gonna do these things, right? Uh, from your lips to their ears. Thank you so much for having me. I, I greatly appreciate it. Well, it's wonderful to have you as a guest and, uh, we'll have you back. This is Brad Perlin, Vermont Viewpoint, WDEV in historic Waterbury, Vermont. We'll be back right after this. Mm-hmm.